And we are live. What's up, guys? Welcome to FedIt. Today, we're going to be covering the Anna Montez case. Cuban espionage, man. I know you guys like these spy cases. Let's get right into it. I was a special agent with Homeland Security Investigations, okay, guys? HSI. The cases that I did mostly were human smuggling and drug trafficking. No one else has these documents, by the way. Here's what FedEx covers. Dr. Lafredo confirmed lacerations due to stepping on glass. Murder investigation. See him reaching in his jacket. You don't know. And he's positioning. Been on February 13, 2019. You're facing two counts of premeditated murder. Racketeering and Rico conspiracy. Young, young slime life here and after referred to as YSL. The defendants are 6 9 and then this is Billy Seiko right here. Now, when they first started, guys, 6 9 ran with. I'm a fed. I'm watching this music video. You know, I'm bobbing my head like, hey, this shit lit. But at the same time, I'm pausing. Oh, wait, who this? Right? Oh, who's that in the back? Firearms and violent crimes. AKA, Pusha I see violated. Your order to stay away from the victim. Trapper Pusha I see arrested after shooting at King of Diamonds, Miami Strip Club, injured one this person. Is the, this is the one that, that's gonna fuck him up because this gun is not traceable. Well, what happened at the gun range? Here's your boy 42 Doug right here on the left. Okay. Sex trafficking and sex crimes. They can effectively link him to paying an underage girl. I'm gonna lock my fifth window right, right. And well, the first bomb went off right here. Suspect two sent down a backpack at the site of the second explosion. Inspired by Al Qaeda. Two terrorists, brothers, the Zokar Sarnev and Tamer Lynn Sarnev. When the cartel shipped drugs into the country. As this guy got arrested for um, espionage, okay, trading secrets with the Russians for monetary compensation. The largest corrupt police bust in New Orleans history. The days of the police are gone. gone. So he was in this bad boy. We're going to go over his past, the gang ties, so that this all makes sense. All right, and we are back. What's up, guys? Welcome to Fed Man. I got my special guest with me. You guys have come to learn and love her at this point. Hello, it's me again, your favorite Venezuelan that can't speak English. I hate that nickname, by the way. Um, hi, guys. Um, as I've been saying before, um, I've been reading your comments on the the latest videos so keep it up with the cases uh we are gonna do Ana Montes tonight which is a Cuban spy yes. um and yeah I don't know which one we're gonna do next but I'll be keeping it up with your comments to see like which one is the best case for the next episode okay sorry guys I replugged in my soundboard because uh Chris's soundboard sucks but yeah man um long story short guys we're gonna cover Ana Montes okay. this is a Cuban espionage case uh, I kind of sprung this one up on uh, Angelica here. So she's like, uh, her specialization is like, you know, serial killers and weirdos that um, like kill boyfriends. People with psychological problems, mostly. There you go. Um, yes. she might, this lady might have, well, you know what? Well, you'll see right now in a second with, with, uh, with this documentary. We're going to be reacting, guys, to a documentary in this thing. But before I get into that, real quick, want to let you all know, um, Why Women Deserve Less is in stores right now. Okay, go ahead. And get the book. Here's a hard copy version, the author's version. Which Happy is why Valentine's says, Day for everybody. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, we're recording this on Valentine's Day. Uh, yeah, that's how we're spending our, our Valentine's. But yeah, guys, uh, get the book, man. It's out right now. It's doing uh, pretty well. Number one bestselling feminist theory. Um, and on top of that, it's uh, number nine in self-help and number 12 in books worldwide. So wow. um, it, it hit 10 earlier, but I guess I just lost two spots. But um, yeah, for self-help, I'm right behind. Uh, let's see here. I beat out. David Goggins and Robert Green, and I think I beat out. Did I beat out Jordan Peterson? Yeah, I beat out Jordan Peterson too. Oh, so, I was gonna buy that book. Which one? Uh, Twelve Rules for Life. Yes. Yeah, I um, love Jordan Peterson. 
Yeah, he's, shout out to him. He's a G. Uh, but yeah, as you guys can see here, pretty much these are the books that are ahead. I'm I'm trying to get back into that top ten. Uh, well, this is for self help, but the, uh, this is for the self help thing. But let's go back to uh, top. Um, like these are all the bestseller books, period, right? So I'm number 12 right now. And that's not bad for first book ever and not really, you know, having uh, that much of an author background. Um, but yeah, beat out a couple of other well-known books. But yeah, these are the top books right now as of technically it's January 15th at two in the morning. So, well, wait, no, 2.25 a.m. So yeah, guys, we're working, we're burning that midnight oil for y'all. Yeah. Uh, and then let's see here. And then, yeah, and then fe- obviously number one in Feminist Theater, which is hilarious because, oh, I, I got number one and number two. Okay, Don DeMarco myself. <laughs> <laughs> DeMarco. I didn't even realize that. And then the, the this book right here, Ho Tactics, I guess it's this is like my antagonist right here. You know, I'm teaching now women deserve yeah. less than over here. They're teaching you how to how to be a 304 and get the most out of guys. So look, it's a battle of the sexes, really? man. But we're winning. Yeah, this book, I think, teaches you how to, yes, yeah, it's how to mind, no way. mind F a guy into whatever. So, yeah, it is what it is. But, yeah, guys, book is in stores now, man. Get it uh, on Kindle and paperback. Um, and then also I'm going to be releasing it on Audible very soon, probably next week uh, while I'm in Dubai. We'll try to get it out there in Audible for you guys because Mo's editing it right now as we speak. And um, what else? And then I'll do a hardcover copy version of it soon. And then I'm also going to do signed ones with the hardcover. Okay, guys, so stay tuned for that. I got a bunch of messages from you guys saying, yo, I want a hardcover version, so that's going to come very soon, and I'll sign com- a couple of those. Do you think people had already, like, read it? Yeah, a bunch of people have read it already. Already? Yeah, it's only... That quick? It, I mean, you know, no, it's 86 yeah. pages, so... It's short, because it's women deserve less, right? It's, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I know. <laughs> so, yeah, um, and it got some good reviews. I got some haters, of course, right? You, you're always going to have haters. But for the most part, 84 ratings, man. Uh, and it's at a four point uh, four, I think 4.8 out of five. So yeah, man, it's doing pretty well anyway, but uh, guys, yeah. Don't forget to like the video, subscribe to the channel. Now let's get into the documentary, right? With Anna Montez guys, this is declassified. This is a pretty good show. Um, yeah. Uh, Angie, anything you want to say before we get into it? Mm, not really. All right. Um, I'm just, I can, I kind of like a little out of my sound of, sound of comfort here, but Time to get out that comfort zone. Yeah. You, we're not going to talk about crazies. We're going to talk about traitors now. Yeah. You got to be diversified. Up. I keep it up. <laughs> All right, guys. Up. Let's. Uh, we're going to get into it right now uh, with this documentary. Actually, uh, real quick, before I even do the documentary, give you guys a little bit of background. Um, here is Anna Montez right here. Okay. Uh, Alan Berlin Montez, uh, born February 28th to 1957, is a former American senior analyst at the Defense Intelligence Agency in the United States who spied on behalf of the Cuban government for 17 years, okay? So who is the DIA? This is who they are, guys. The Defense Intelligence Agency, a.k.a. the DIA, is an intelligence agency and uh, and combat support agency of the United States Department of Defense specializing in defense and military intelligence. A component of the DOD and intelligence community, IC, DIA informs national civilian and defense policymakers about the military intentions and capabilities of foreign governments and non-state actors. It also provides intelligence assistance, integration, and coordination across uniform military service intelligence components, which remain structurally separate from the DIA. The agency's role encompasses the collection and analysis of military-related foreign, political, economic, industrial, geographic, and medical and health intelligence. DEI produced approximately one quarter of all intelligence content that goes into the president's daily brief. So, guys, these dudes are pretty important and they're pretty big. They comprise there's 13 plus intelligence agencies, right? Uh, <clears throat> and these guys comprise of 25 percent 
So these guys are right next to the big boys of NSA and CIA, okay? Um, and they specialize on the military side. So now that you guys know what the DIA is and who Anna Montez is from a bird's eye view, let's get into the documentary. <laughs> there was a Cuban agent with access to classified information, placing our entire nation's future at risk. The spy was almost certainly in our building. I think it's the betrayal that gets me. Like, how dare you? It's a sensitive time because we were launching a war. Our boys and girls in uniform are going to die because she stabbed him in the back. skip this intro and the thing i like about this guys is these are cases that were typically like classified or had some kind of secret components to them and um and then they you know with this documentary because it's relatively new i think this is what from like 2021 uh or they declassify some of the content so that we can like you know get a more insider look into the how the investigation was done so this one thing i like about this show almost every nation in the world spies that's a fact. And when it comes to our biggest threats, guys, it's the Chinese, the Russians, the Cubans, and surprisingly, guys, the Mossad as well. Um, and I learned that from Andrew Bustamante. I, I think, guys, go back and watch the interview that I did with him on uh, Fresh and Fit. He was a former CIA officer, and we talked about different intelligence capabilities of the different agencies, and he was uh, of the different nations, excuse me. And he was saying how the Mossad is extremely underrated and will do whatever it takes. To get ahead, which uh, all I'm going to say is John F. Kennedy and them boys, which I'm going to bring Ryan Dawson on. And we're going to talk about that. OK, and then we're also and also speaking of them boys uh, stealing nuclear secrets, all documented fact, by the way. Holy we're going to talk about that with uh, Ryan Dawson as well. I look I look forward to that. It's going to be really cool, guys. Um, but anyway, but without me getting into that. And then also France has a very capable intelligence agency. And this is kind of how the world works, guys. Ever since after World War II, you got to understand that it's been a battle of proxy wars, intelligence agencies, stealing secrets, stealing nuclear secrets, stealing proliferation secrets, and just getting an edge on other countries. Because waging all-out war, war isn't really something uh, that's done in today's day and age. Now, of course, you got the, you know, Iraq war and what's going on in Ukraine or whatever. But these aren't full-fledged wars like World War One and World War Two. Okay, the wars nowadays are far more covert. Most nations in the world spy against the United States. We are the number one target. There are at least 70, give or take 10, nations spying on the U.S. If you were to believe there are probably in excess of 100,000 foreign agents working in this country, that's not paranoia. That's a good guess. My name is Chris Simmons. I was a career intelligence officer with the Defense Intelligence Agency, where I headed counterintelligence analysis for the Americas team. The Defense Intelligence Agency is the Pentagon's intelligence apparatus. DIA's focus on the national security structure of every nation in the world. And guys, the Pentagon, for all my foreign guys out there that might not know, uh, the Pentagon is the head of, is where basically the Department of Defense, a.k.a. the U.S. military, is headquartered at in the United States out of Washington, D.C. It's got a lot of secrets, right? What was that? It's got like a lot of nation secrets in there, right? Oh, uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're definitely going to have, you know, classified information that, you know, they 
went and gathered on foreign nations to, you know, maintain the edge. That's what intelligence is, is basically just knowing more than the other places to put yourself in a good position for, you know, an advantage. The way we became engaged with this case, a woman who led part of the FBI investigation took the initiative to set up the meeting. The FBI explained. Okay, uh, FBI guys, the FBI is the agency that is predominantly tasked with investigating any type of uh, counterintelligence or espionage. Okay, so they do the criminal investigation portion anytime there's some type of uh, espionage, treason, selling secrets, any of this stuff. FBI takes lead on that. It's actually, I think their 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 main programmatic areas, guys, is number one is obviously terrorism. Number two is counterintelligence slash espionage. And then number three is public corruption. Those are the three main things that the FBI focuses on mostly. And then after that, pretty much, you know, switches every year, right? Child exploitation, bank robberies, organized crime, etc. But ever since 9-11, terrorism has been number one with counterintelligence quit, uh, very close behind. And that we've heard you and your team are the best there are on Cuban intelligence. And we are part of an FBI spy case that involved Cuba, which had been dragging on for three years. And we're frustrated. Can you help us? I was so concerned about the damage that this mole could have already inflicted and will continue to inflict that I immediately called Scott Carmichael. Scott Carmichael was head of our investigation side. I love being a spy hunter. I love the chase. Nothing would make me happier than for somebody to say. Okay, so you guys can see here, Scott Car Carmichael, it says criminal investigator here at Defense Intelligence Agency retired. More than likely, what he was was something called Office of Inspector General, guys, or OIG. So he's not an FBI agent. He is a special agent that works under DIA that does more internal investigations. However, the FBI guys, okay, um, is the main agency, and I'm going to go ahead and share a screen with y'all real quick here. Um, well, Scott. So you guys can um, kind of get an idea here because we got a lot of foreign people here that may or may not know. All right, the, the, uh, the, so the FBI is the Domestic agency, Intelligence uh, Security Service of the United States and its principal law enforcement agency, okay? Operating under the jurisdiction of the United States Department of Justice. Oh, hold on. Is this not showing on screen? Oh, hold on. My bad, guys. If it's uh, for some odd reason, it's like really, really enlarged. Why is it not? Oh, my bad. I'm looking at the wrong thing. Sorry, guys. Had a mind, a brain fart right there, real fast. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, operate under the jurisdiction of the U.S. Department of Justice. The FBI is also a member of the U.S. intelligence community and reports both. Uh, to both the Attorney General and the Director of National Intelligence as uh, a leading U.S. counterterrorism, counterintelligence, and criminal investigative, investigative organization. FBI has jurisdiction over violations of more than 200 categories of federal crime. So, guys, the FBI is the United States' biggest federal law enforcement agency, and um, they have two hats that they wear. They are a law enforcement agency, but they're also an intelligence agency. So let me explain the difference here because people always get this confused. A law enforcement agency, guys, is tasked with enforcing, right, violations of the u.s code right usc united states code they're charged with enforcing the federal laws okay and they go after you for violating said laws the intelligence agencies right their job is to gather intelligence not necessarily to arrest people but to gather intelligence to give the united states an edge against adversaries of foreign governments okay 
typically most intelligence agencies, right, especially like the CIA, the DIA, NSA, etc., their job is to collect information typically on foreign nationals, okay? The FBI's mission is to collect intelligence on domestic uh, individuals, okay? When Whenever something is occurring in the United States. So if something happens, right, of national security concern in the United States, it goes to the FBI. If it's international, it goes over to the CIA. And this is why the two agencies have been fighting for a while and why there were issues with 9-11 where some of the, you know, the terrorists were found in the United States. The CIA knew about it, but they didn't share the information with the FBI, et cetera, et cetera. And there wasn't a lot of communication, which is what led to, you know, the formation of Department of Homeland Security and everything else that happened after 9-11, which is a whole other story. But the main thing to take away here is that intelligence agencies and law enforcement agencies are two different animals. However, the FBI has a very unique situation where they are both an intelligence agency as well as a law enforcement agency, which ends up hurting them a little bit because there are FBI agents, and I know this from my personal experience working with them, that have never made a criminal arrest in their career. Yes, I said that. There are FBI agents that have been on the job for 10 to 20 years that have never made a criminal arrest where they were the case agent and actually ran the case. Why? Because a lot of times when you do intelligence, well, you're just gathering information and, you know, trying to prevent stuff. And, you know, your job is to kind of collect information. That's it. Like you're not necessarily arresting people. However, when you're doing criminal investigations, yeah, you're going out there and arresting people. I'll give you an example of what I mean by this. The FBI has something called squads. Okay. And the reason why I know this so well is because a very good friend of mine is an FBI agent. So, uh, you know, I worked with them quite a bit. I understand how their agency works. Uh, they work a lot differently than Homeland Security, but um, once you start doing certain types of cases, I had a gang case with Lion Kings one time, and I also did another case that dealt with some, um, how do I say this without, I'm just going to say some Sri Lankans and some national security, right? And then you guys could go ahead and deduct whatever you want from that. But, and I was working with FBI on that. So, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, okay. So you'll get like an FBI agent that let's say does like counterintelligence, right? And then you'll get another FBI agent that does, let's say bank robberies. That agent that does bank robberies will probably make several arrests that year because the banks are calling all the time. Hey, we got robbed. Hey, we got robbed again. Hey, we got robbed, blah, 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 which I know some of you guys are like, what the hell? Yes, bank robbers are fairly common, guys. I know. I don't know how, why still? people do them today. Yeah. Yeah, they still are. I was surprised by that, too, because I asked my friend about this. I was like, wait, because he was telling me, oh, bro, I got to go respond to a bank robbery. And I was like. Bro, you're like in a in like a gang squad. Why are you going up responding to a bank robbery? It was like, yeah, they need help, blah, blah, blah. This is like the fifth bank robbery of the week or something wild like that. And this yeah. was, yeah, this was uh, when I was in Laredo, Texas. He was out of San Antonio. Right. And I mean, San Antonio, <laughs> it's kind of dangerous, right? There's a lot of crime going on there. But five in like a week. And I was like, bro, like people still rob banks like that? And this is back in like 2017. And he's like, yeah, bro, it's actually very common still. And I was like, wow. Like, I didn't realize. But, How with all the technology and, like, all the stuff in the banks? You know, that's a good question. That's what I thought, too. But, it, like, people, they pass a note. Like, they just go in there, run, get the money out, and then leave. They don't take the marked bills. Like, right. you know, they got, like, a getaway car that, like, doesn't have plates or is, like, stolen or something like that. So, yeah, oh. it's still very common. But going back to what I was saying, to bring this all back full circle for you, I don't want to go on a random rant. But I really want you guys to understand how the FBI works here. Because what you see on TV isn't true. So, that bank, that agent that's in the bank robbery squad, he's going to be making a lot of arrests because that's what I would consider like a response group. So they're getting called out at two in the morning, you know, whatever bank robbery happened or, you know, during banking hours, whatever happens. And they're doing those investigations. They're arresting people. Right. Whereas someone, an agent that works in counterintelligence. Right. Or uh, te even terrorism. 
right? A JTTF Joint Terrorism Task, Task Force Squad guy. They might make an arrest once every five to 10 years and once every 20 years, right? Because your, your mission when you're doing counterintelligence, when you're doing uh, terrorism, whatever, you're there to prevent it. You don't want it to happen, okay? When a terrorist attack is successful, that's bad, guys. We're talking about the economy getting hurt, you know, stock market going wild. Like, it's not good for anybody. So their job is to kind of thwart attacks a lot of the times. So you're not making arrests, right? And a lot of times when you're thwarting attacks, I'll be honest, they'll bring guys in like me. They used to work for the Homeland Security. Hey, this guy, we can't prove that he is doing material support to terrorists, but, you know, we know he's here on a visa. Okay. Uh, guys like me come in. All right, motherfucker. We know, you know, you're involved with some stuff. Maybe you do an interview. He doesn't want to confess. He doesn't want to say anything. Doesn't want to cooperate. Cool. Just deport his ass. Bam. You know what I mean? Get him out of here. All right. And that's how a lot of terrorism cases are actually conducted and stopped, guys, is a Homeland Security Special Agent will come in, right? Use that immigration authority, right? Do an interview. Bring him in under immigration pretenses. Do an interview. They don't want to talk. They don't want to cooperate. Identify other individuals. Kick them out. Bam. Give them with the big yeah. and and uh, crisis averted. Man, but, I'm getting kind of nervous. Yeah. <laughs> what is that? Yeah, they're going to kick you out, too. But uh, no. I'm just kidding. Um, she's legally here, guys, before you guys make all jokes. Yeah, I am. Yeah, she's here legally. But um, anyway, what was I going to say? Uh, so, yeah. So, and I say that, guys, to show you the 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 vast difference, okay, in different types of FBI agents within the same agency. You got one guy kicking in doors and arresting people that are robbing banks. And then you got another guy that might not make an arrest for years. So this goes to kind of, that's kind of a microcosm of the bigger situation here where the FBI is a criminal investigative uh, agency while simultaneously being an intelligence agency. But both missions are very different, which is why the FBI can be fairly discombobulated at times, right? That's, they're a big agency, but um, they have two different missions. And having two different missions a lot of times uh, dilutes the focus of the agency's overall mission okay so uh and yes the cia does not do criminal investigations guys that is the fbi that does that the cia does stuff overseas you know the waterboarding and all that fun stuff they ain't doing that here okay <laughs> well at least not to my knowledge all right uh all right let's get back to um to the documentary um but that was an overview of how the bureau really works i would like the video by the way you guys are not going to get detailed information like that anywhere else because, quite frankly, none of these YouTubers have ever done a criminal case, let alone done a criminal case alongside the Bureau knows how they work. No espionage is occurring. We've got these few tidbits of information. Can you help us out? You bet. I especially loved what are termed unsub investigations, unknown subject investigations. And those are investigations where you have good reason to believe that espionage is occurring. You have absolutely no idea who might be doing it. FBI was trying to identify a Cuban spy who was possibly in the D.C. area, and they knew a few tidbits of information about the spy, but they had no idea uh, who this person was, where this person worked. Well, that's a problem, because what they were talking about is the possibility that there was a Cuban agent with access to classified information. And this is a problem, guys, because Cuba is a huge ally of who? Mother Russia. And uh, as you guys know, we've had, you know, issues with Russia for a very long time. I mean, most of the spies that we catch a lot of the times are typically from Russia or China, at least the most prolific ones. Um, and vice versa. A lot of our spies get caught in their countries. Cuba does not pose a credible military threat to the United States. 
The real danger of Cuban intelligence operations is that the intelligence take is shared by Cuba with other countries. He shares information with Iran, China, Russia, uh, even Venezuela, North Korea. Oh, your people. <laughs> your people. I knew it. <laughs> what makes Cuba important is that it's the world's biggest intelligence trafficker. And I say that in the context of the sale or barter of U.S. secrets is now one of the central engines of the Cuban economy. Whether it's political secrets, economic secrets, military secrets, every country has interest in the United States and Cuba. And that's a good point because Cuba is in a very good geographic location, right, to extract information from the United States, surreptitiously, of course, and then sell it to the United States' enemies. So you guys can see how much of a threat Cuba really is to the United States. Their ability to steal secrets, they outperform almost every nation in the world. The Cubans are so good for several reasons. At the start of the Cold War, the Russians and all the Warsaw Pact allies saw the Cubans as useful partners that would not draw attention like they would. The Russians, the Poles, every service in the world trained the Cubans. Cuba exploited the perception that they're not a threat because it lowers their cost of espionage and it gets them more clients because situations that would be hard for the Chinese or Russians to do, Cuban agents can do easily. Building an unsub case is like putting a puzzle together. The challenge is you don't know what the puzzle looks like and you don't know how many pieces there are. The FBI's case, they had three very distinct pieces of the puzzle as they shared their puzzle pieces. Turns out I had the fourth puzzle piece. That one piece of information fit perfectly into what they had just shared. And when we put it all together, I told them that the FBI is looking in the wrong place because the unsub doing the three things you just shared coupled with the fourth piece of the puzzle, there are probably 40 or 50 people that could do what your unsub can do. And in all likelihood is working. Okay, that's good. So they narrowed down the pool of potential suspects, which is huge, guys, in an unsub case, right? You're talking about, you know, how many people have classified information, right? Literally hundreds. Um, how many have information that can compromise the United States? So it's it, it, whenever you're able to whittle down the list, that's half the game when you do these types of uh, unsub cases, which is typically how most espionage cases begin. Within the confines of the Defense Intelligence Agency, even more narrowly, spy was almost certainly in our building. What was the information that you were able to The information that our colleagues shared with us remains classified to this day. Mm. <laughs> I knew that was going to happen. Guys, let me tell you all something. As a former government guy that used to work with the FBI and these intelligence agencies fairly often, these guys classify everything, right? When in doubt, it's classified, okay? Hmm. Because you know that you ain't going to get in trouble if you just classify it. And the other thing, too, I want to make very clear to y'all, a lot of the time, classified information is it classified because the information is actually 
like secret. It's classified because the way it was gathered is secrets. Let me make that distinction one more time for you. A lot of the time, guys, when information is classified, right, whether it's secret, confidential, top secret, SCI, whatever it is, it's not that the information in itself is secret. Most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, it's because the way it was gathered reveals techniques and is going to compromise typically some source or some type of asset that we have because that information is so narrowly given or so hard to come by or it is so tightly uh, tied to someone that if it gets out, it would immediately divulge who the source is or how it was gathered, which would hurt us. So the methodologies of how it was gathered is what they're trying to protect a lot of times, not the information in and of itself. Okay. So, um, so I want to make that distinction for you guys as well. Uh, because a lot of people don't know that they think, Oh my God, this is like really secret stuff. I mean, guys, I've seen stuff that's considered, Oh my God, this is classified, whatever. And you're looking at it. You're like, bro, this is public knowledge. What the hell? But <laughs> you know, but it's because it was gathered a certain way that they had to keep it that way. Right. Cause it would. And the other thing too, I want to say for y'all too, as a guy that did criminal investigations versus like doing, you know, uh, counterintelligence or these types of classified cases, they're very overrated, right? I don't want to be a, a, a jerk or anything or a party pooper, but the reality is you can't use classified information in criminal investigations. You can't, okay? Because anything that goes into a criminal case is discoverable, and things that are discoverable, guess what? They need to be declassified because before they could be dis- discoverable, right? So if you're going to make a case criminal, you have to work through declassifying everything in the investigation to make sure, because you're going to have to give it to some defense attorney, right? He don't have a clearance. <laughs> it's going to go to a judge. A lot of times they don't have clearances, right? Typically, the only people that have a clearance in the investigation is the case agent. Sometimes the AUSA, right? If it's a national security case, typically the AUSA will have a clearance, but not all AUSAs have clearances. The AUSA is a federal prosecutor, by the way, guys. So, um, so the reason why a lot of these like CI cases or whatever never see the light of day in a courtroom is because it's classified and classified material can't go into into a criminal investigation. It's use, it's useless, right? Which is why myself I typically never use classified information. I stayed away from it. I remember um, I had one national security case. It was actually right before I left HSI, and uh, it was a case I was telling you about with the Sri Lankans. I had a, ca- a co case agent, right? So this is more advanced stuff for y'all, but I'm to, to give you guys some sauce here. So whenever you have a case that has a national security nexus, you want a primary case agent, and then you want someone who you call a taint agent, okay? And the the primary case agent, he's the one that's doing everything in the light, okay? He's writing the reports. He's writing the affidavits. Uh, he's trying to stay away from the classified information, et cetera. He's very transparent. He's the more transparent one because the case is going to have to see the light of, light of day in the courtroom, right? Right. Then your co-case agent or someone else, right, in your squad, they'll go ahead and they'll look at all the classified stuff, right? And they'll also help you um, with the investigation. But the thing is, right, is that as the case agent, you don't want to know the classified stuff. And I'll tell you why here in a second. You want them to go, the co-case agent, to go figure out all the classified stuff for you and kind of point you in the direction of, hey, maybe you want to look here, blah, 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 all that type of thing. And the reason why, guys, is because if they put you right on the stand or whatever, and ask you questions, well, you can't lie, okay? So it's better for you a lot of the times from a liability standpoint to just not know, right, the classified information because you can't talk about it, right? And if they call the other agent in, 
hey, I need you to testify. He can just go on there and be like, well, it's classified. I can't, uh, sorry. Can't, can't it's kind of like it. secrets. Like the less it, they had to be known, the more compromised you can be yeah. knowing them. Yeah, absolutely. So um, so that's how, that's one way to get around it. There's many other strat investigative strategies to do this, guys, whenever you're doing national security cases or whatever. Um, or the other route is you could just declassify everything, right? You could go through the process of actually declassifying the information so you could put it in a courtroom. But sometimes that's not feasible. So having a Tate agent is another tactic that you can use. And uh, having Tate agents is, is a tactic that could be used for classify, uh, cases, cases like this that you know have classified information. Or in the Trump case, for example, uh, cases that have um, attorney privilege, uh, attorney privilege uh, information. And attorney-client privilege information is like uh, any information where uh, the potential defendant is talking to their attorney, right? So in that case, what they ended up doing was they had – the case agent and his squad go in and do the search, right? And then a Tate squad went in, right, that wasn't involved in that investigation necessarily. And anything that was dealt with that had attorney-client privilege, they dealt with that. And they went through and filtered what was attorney-client privilege and what was not. And then they gave the stuff that was not over to the case agent. And the reason why they do that is so that the case agent isn't tainted. He doesn't see any of that stuff. So if he's called to the stand or whatever, he doesn't know. OK, and then if uh, if they do need to go ahead and figure that stuff out, they can call the agents that were from the Tate team. Right. That saw the privileged information and it can't be used against Donald Trump. Right. In in that case, same thing with classified information. So Tate teams is kind of a strategy. I'm getting in the weeds here for you, all but I'm explaining this. So you guys can kind of understand how these types of sensitive investigations where you got attorney client privilege or national security information or classified information, whatever it may be, how it typically works. Right. Because I've done them. I know. Right. So like the video. Because you guys aren't going to get that level of detail anywhere else on the internet. Um, and subscribe, of course. Yeah, subscribe to the channel as well. And then also, uh, check out Angie on Instagram, guys. So Angelica with two A's at the end. Uh, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, yeah, So Angelica with two A's at the end, Yeah, right? it is. Um, but please don't, sell, don't send dick pics or <laughs> weird comments. Uh, I've been receiving, like, weird comments. Okay. Man, these people. <laughs> Fair enough. You guys better not be simping. Get that book, Why Women Deserve Less. You better not be simping. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna roast you. All right, let's get back into it, guys. Reveal some of our methods that the Cubans aren't yet aware of. He said it for me. See, it wasn't the information that was classified in itself. It reveals the methodologies on how they gathered it. Some of the methods and systems that the DIA employs to collect information about other countries' activities are so sophisticated. And that's why espionage is so dangerous, because if you tell other countries, hey, the United States is able to do this, they will then guard the, against that. And of course, that degrades our ability to collect the information that our warfighters need in the event that they go to war with some country. That's the problem. For most of the years that I worked for DIA, I was the senior counterintelligence investigator. So if anybody was engaging in espionage, in the agency on my watch, that was an affront to me. I hate that. I think it's the betrayal that gets me. Like, how dare you? One investigative lead that the FBI had was that the spy in question had traveled to the Naval Station at Guantanamo, Cuba uh, during a specific time frame. That was the best investigative lead. I knew that people who travel to Gitmo require permission to do so and they submit the request for permission by message. 
All right, real quick, guys. Um, just so you guys know what Guantanamo Bay is, because some of you guys might be like, what the hell is Guantanamo Bay? Um, Guantanamo Bay, and they've been talking about closing this play, place down forever. Um, <laughs> and it's still open. I remember Obama campaigned saying that. But here's Guantanamo Bay, guys. The Guantanamo Bay detention camp is a United States military prison located within Guantanamo Bay Naval Base, also referred to as Guantana, Guantanamo, Gitmo, and uh, Gitmo on the coast of Guantanamo Bay in Cuba. Of the roughly 780 people detained there since January 2002 when the military prison first opened after the September 11th attacks, 737 have been transferred elsewhere, 34 remain there, and nine have died while in custody. Okay, this is a very controversial prison. 60 Minutes Australia did a whole uh, take on Guantanamo Bay. But uh, they don't want to say it, bro, but this is where they basically hold terrorists. All right, straight out, this is what they This is where they hold terrorists. Um, the guy that orchestrated the uh, 9-11 attacks, um, uh, KSM, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, this guy right here. Okay. And um, at this point, 9-11 is burned into my head because I did so much research for it. Um, and I'm aware of the obviously the official story and the unofficial story. But this guy right here, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, also known as uh, as by 50 other pseudonyms. Sheikh? Uh, Sheikh Mohammed, yep. Is a Pakistani Islamist militant uh, held by the United States at the Guantanamo Bay detention camp under terrorism charges. Uh, he was named as the principal architect of 9-11 attacks in the 9-11 commission report. He's often referred to by his initials, KSM. And also, um, speak, speaking of him, this is his nephew right here, Ramzi Youssef, okay, who was responsible for the 1993 World Trade Center bombings, okay? And this is his nephew. Oh, I remember that case. Oh, you remember this one? Yeah. You can do that. So, oh, I already did it. Oh, you did it. Oh, I did shit. this one, yeah. So, um, it was a good case, though. Very yeah, interesting was, case. I saw the so, movie, too. It was very good. It's really good. Yeah. And and don't worry, guys. I know some of y'all are like, well, 9-11 was an inside job, blah, blah, blah. I will say this. I've watched Dawson's take on it, and he has a more holistic view on it because a lot of these other conspiracy theorists, um, 9-11 people, didn't cover a very big part of 9-11. Uh, and all I'm going to say is them boys definitely had some involvement, but, uh, <laughs> as well as these terrorists as well, but we're, uh, I will do that probably on rumble with, with him. And we're going to cover nine 11, uh, from top to bottom guys, top to bottom. And I, obviously I'm very aware of the official narrative and the unofficial narrative. Um, and I know, um, Ryan Dawson's perspective as well, which I think is probably one of the best ones because he covers everything, you know, to include, you know, from the terrorism side to the uh, controlled demolition side to uh, that side, if you know what I'm saying. We're on YouTube. I can't say it. <laughs> and you know what I'm talking about, though. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. But uh, that's what Guantanamo Bay is, guys. And it's searchable by keyword. Episode coming soon on Rumble with uh, Ryan Dawson. We're organizing it right now. We're going to cover everything for y'all from JFK to... Nuclear secrets being stolen by. Yeah, you should get Fetty on Rumble. I'm telling and you. Then, uh, and then also 9-11. It only took me. Yeah, we probably should do Fetty on Rumble at some point. Moments to submit my query. And the system produced a hit file, a list of messages, uh, about 100 of them that matched the parameters of my search. And so I started hitting my function key very quickly just to see if I would recognize names. And the 20th one. <laughs> it was <laughs> I don't want this on it was very very emotional the moment I saw her name I knew 
Now, I know some of you guys are probably like, well, why is he crying? Like, why does he care? Blah, blah, blah. A lot of the times, guys, when you work in the government, you really start to build really strong bonds and formations with the people that you work with. You get to know their families. You get to know them. You get to know what they do in their personal time. Uh, so anytime like a government employee that you right is suspected of some kind of misconduct or wrongdoing, or in this case, the worst of crimes, treason, selling secrets to an enemy, right, which is what she's about to be suspected of, you guys are going to see here in a second. Everyone is in shock, right? And it's like, oh, man, wow. So um, um, that is I quite mean, shocking. I, what was that? It's quite shocking, though, because on the documentary that I was watching on the way here, it they said that this guy said that Anna Montes was very reserved. She was very, like, to work, and that's it. Yeah, she was a good worker. Yeah, she was, and that's why another reason why why um it shocks people. Uh, and I'll tell you guys this: I knew I know agents that got arrested for like misconduct, and you never see it coming, dude. You never see it coming, right? You never see it happening. Like I, I worked with a guy in Laredo. Wow, <laughs> going back in history. <laughs> I worked with a guy in Laredo who's a good guy, man. Uh, you can actually, uh, yeah, I, I, I won't say his name for now, but uh. But either way, he ended up getting arrested later on. It's all public information. You can literally look it up. He ended up getting arrested for stealing people's identities to gamble. He had a gambling problem. And what? I was shocked. Yeah. Yeah. The guy to was. gamble? He, he had a gambling problem. Yeah. Yeah. So the guy was former Border Patrol, uh, worked for uh, North Carolina Sheriff's Office, right? And uh, a sheriff's office out in North Carolina. Um, he ended up becoming an HSI special agent. Right. So he had been in law enforcement for like 10 or 15 years, got on the job with us. And next thing I know, right, when I'm here in Miami as an agent, I find out that he gets arrested by the FBI for um, like stealing dead people's identities. And he dead did. people, dead people's identities. Yeah. Dead people. Yeah. What? And the reason why he did that was so that he can um, open credit lines on their names Holy. to get money to gamble. Yeah. Crazy. Wow. Crazy. I, I was literally shocked. I was like, what? The, I spent of course. hours with this dude. We used to pause. We used to do, he used to help me with my cases. I remember we used to go and respond when, at two, three o'clock in the morning. Anytime there was a case, uh, you know, he helped me with, uh, he helped me with like, because I was, um, he helped me with writing reports. That was like when I was a brand new agent. Was a he work partner, like, yeah, he taught me, he taught me a lot. So, um, right. Uh, because he was a task force officer right. at the time. And then he ended up becoming a special agent after I went to Miami. So it was, Shit. it was, yeah. Cause he was a task force officer, border patrol working for HSI. Then he became an agent when I went to Miami. And then I, I heard that he got jammed up like four years later after That's like crazy. a year, like, like two or three years after I left. So that's crazy. What yeah. a coincidence. People will say that this girl, it was the same. Like nobody will imagine yeah. that she was a spy. Yeah. And, and I know because, like, some people might say, like, oh, yeah, he's well, this is all for a show or whatever. No, guys, it really does hit deep sometimes. Like, you think you know someone, and then you spend hours with this individual. You meet their family. You go to the barbecues. You hang out with them. You get to know them. You know their children. Your kids go to school together. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you build these formations. Then you find out that they're a criminal or you find out something. It's that like you don't believe it. It, it yeah. sends shockwaves throughout the entire agency. Everyone is talking. Right. That's crazy. So, they were Hannah Montana all the time. Yeah. Like double life and everything. Exactly. And that's that's what it is. Like the shock and the betrayal is really like the biggest thing. Yeah, so of course. Um, so and I felt that. So I I I understand where he's coming from with, with like the shock. And then to be suspected of a crime like treason, holy. <laughs> the second I saw her name. 
And this woman was a hard worker. You guys are going to see here in a second, which is what caused even more shock. She wasn't like a bum. You know what I mean? She wasn't a slug. Name, Anamantis. I said, oh, shit. Because I knew that Anna at that time was the queen of Cuba. She was the senior Cuba analyst in the entire U.S. intelligence community. So she had access to a lot of information. Ana Montes had probably more time invested in the study of political and military affairs regarding Cuba than anybody else. Ana's security clearance was uh, top secret with access to special intelligence. This stuff is so extraordinarily sensitive that only a handful of people would be given access to. Uh, yeah, guys, so she had uh, a clearance that is pretty much at top level stuff. Like, literally top-level stuff. We're talking about only a handful of people, right, like he's saying right now, have access to it. And even more so, you need, like, an extreme need to know to be able to, to even get read into this type of information. Someone in an honest position could cause exceptionally grave damage to our collective security, and she could do that in a moment, which means a greater possibility that our warfighters who are our boys and girls, will die. That's why this is not a game. I actually went into shock. And, I and remember, guys, DIA is responsible for military intelligence. So he's not kidding around when he says that there's grave consequences when you're releasing information like this because it literally releases where uh, positions might be held, where bases might be, covert operations that are occurring like this is very bad okay very very bad and it compromises u.s soldiers abroad at that moment i realized i'm the only guy outside of havana who knew that anamantis was a major spot now this was not the first time that i had seen anamantis's name I had other interactions with Anna. And during the course of those interactions with her, I developed a gut feeling that there was something wrong and suspicious about this woman. And so when I saw her name again, I knew that she was the spy that they were looking for. Four years earlier, in April 1996, one of our employees, Reg Brown, came to me expressing concerns about Anna. He said, her actions during a specific incident caused me great concern. Give me up. Three, two, one. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, I have just been briefed. By that Clinton era, if you guys know what I'm saying. <laughs> Good old days. I did not have sex with that woman. By the National Security Advisor on the shooting down today of two American civilian airplanes by a Cuban military aircraft. On the 24th of February, 1996, the Cuban military shot down two aircraft operated by a Cuban immigrant group. It's called Brothers to the Rescue. Two civilian aircraft piloted by a total of three American citizens were shot down in international airspace by Cuban makes. Do you have relatives? Uh, yeah, my, my son, my son, our son was in one of the airplanes. That was the murder of three American citizens. Now, in response to the shootdown, the United States government scrambled to figure out what had happened and how we might respond. One of the first people that the Pentagon called in as an expert to advise them was Anamantis. 
Well, that's not good. You're about to have a spy brief the president's top brass. <laughs> Bomba God! In that circumstance, when the Pentagon calls you in, you must stay in place until you are dismissed. Doesn't matter how long. If you're in there for two months, you stay there until our senior military leaders no longer have a need for your expertise. Reg Brown called the Pentagon shortly after 8 p.m. that night just to ask Anna a question, but she left. And he thought, well, that's odd. Reg thought that her actions in leaving the Pentagon early was suspicious. Yeah, she ran out of there and gave those secrets right to the Cubans, guys. That's how deep espionage can run sometimes, guys. And that's why there's such serious punishments for it. Literally, this woman is briefing people that could influence world wars. The president, his, you know, his team, terrible. And these are some of the reach, uh, the level of reach and circumstance that can come into play when you're dealing with a spy that has a lot of access and a high security clearance and is a subject matter expert in the place that they're stationed in and uh, selling secrets from. So the first thing I did is I took a look at our own records. Everybody at DI has a personnel file. Everybody has a security file. I reviewed our files on Anamantis, and what I found was an absolutely model employee. Anna, she had been working at DIA since 1985, and she'd never committed a security violation. She rose to the ranks very quickly, lived very modestly. She was the kind of employee that supervisors hold up for others to emulate. So the assessment that Anna might be a spy just didn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, when you're a good worker, that's when it hits really deep. Nevertheless, I decided to interview her, and Anna gave me great answers to most of my questions. But then when I started questioning her about... So guys, just so you know, more than likely, this interview was one of these like administrative voluntary interviews, which honestly uh, happens quite a bit anytime like there's some potential misconduct, and it's their way of kind of like fishing for information before like opening a full-fledged criminal investigation, which is where the FBI came in. Just going home. And did anybody see you? Her entire demeanor changed. One minute, we're joking and laughing and having a good time, and the next minute, she is scared to death that I know something that she did. And I had no idea what it was. I, I didn't know what was going on. But I walked away from that situation with a gut feeling that she was hiding something from me that was very important to her. And that gut feeling played a major role four years later in September of 2000 when her name popped up on that screen. And so I contacted the FBI. I met with them. I told them, look, I've got an employee who I think is your suspect. The FBI had yet additional data that they were employing to measure suspects new information which I had not previously possessed. And I refer to it as a template. Anamantis did not match up against that template at all. The FBI told me that, well, on the basis of this information alone, I can eliminate your employee as a suspect in this case. And they obviously had a lot of confidence in the validity of this new information. They used it as a trump card on me. 
From the time I left the meeting until the time I took the elevator ride downstairs and I found myself literally out on the curb, I knew that Anna was at work three miles south in our headquarters building. I could just picture her in my mind's eye because that woman was in my building, pulling this crap on my watch, placing our entire nation's future. Yeah, as an OIG guy, like it's kind of embarrassing to have someone in the building that's kind of like under your jurisdiction for any type of administrative or even criminal conduct doing this stuff. At risk, she was going to get the hell out of there. Now, I needed the FBI to be able to make that happen. So what I did, I said, and the reason for that, guys, because the FBI is a lead agency when it comes to terrorism and counterintelligence. If he tried to bring this case over to the U.S. Attorney's Office, a.k.a. the federal prosecutors, they would probably tell him, like, why isn't the FBI on this? And they probably wouldn't take his case seriously because OIG's guys typically, nine out of ten times, do admin or very low-level criminal-type investigations on employees. You know, your basic false statements. Uh, you get a DUI and they got to jam you up with, like, 30 days on a beach or something. But very rarely do they do any type of sexy criminal cases on their own they almost always have to include another agency because their authorities are very limited. We are going to persuade the FBI that Anna Montes was. And a lot of the time, the AUSA won't even take a case from you if it's something that's like another agency's main mission, if that makes sense. So U.S. Attorney's Office doesn't take OIG seriously because they don't bring that many cases a year in general. The spy that they were looking for. And I realized that I had to attack the Trump card. The next morning, on a Saturday, the 14th of October of 2000, I got up. I couldn't sleep very well. I was so upset about the Trump card because what I knew about Anna did not match up against that new information at all. But I knew that she was the agent they were looking for. It was her. I never doubted my intuition. The next day, I spent most of the day examining their trump card. And I discovered something. I discovered a pattern that I recognized from something that I learned in an eighth grade statistics math class. And my math instructor told us, if you ever see this pattern, you need to understand that the fix is in. Somebody is manipulating the data in order to get the outcome that you're looking at. And I saw a pattern which I knew could never occur in a random world. Can't happen. It had to be the Cubans. The FBI was using a trump card that was, it was being manipulated. They didn't know it. And so at that moment, I realized that I had cracked the trump card. I wrote up a an eight-page memo, and the next morning, I faxed that eight-page memo to the FBI. About an hour later, the FBI case agent, Steve McCoy, called me. And the first thing he said was, uh, Scott, I think we've gotten off on the wrong foot. <laughs> Talk about a change of heart. And the FBI does that all the time, man. Unless you can help them, they don't mess with you, man. You know, they're very dismissive to other agencies. A lot of... Uh, you know, superiority, superiority complex with them. Uh, I think we're going to be working together for a while. And I was relieved. The only way we were going to be successful is to work together. And it was at that moment 
I knew that we were going to be okay. One of the things that the FBI did was to assign a co-case agent by the name of Pete Lapp. So the first time I heard the name Anna Montes was at our squad Christmas party in 2000. I knew the FBI had gotten a name of suspect, someone who may have matched one of these unsub cases, as we call them. So I talked to Steve McCoy, the senior case agent, and I said, hey, I hear you're working this neat case and you have a name. You know, I, I'd love to work with you on this. So he said, yeah, sure, I'd, I'd really appreciate your help. And from, from there, we, we worked the entire case together with Scott. It's important to keep in mind that the FBI has to prove these cases. You know, we're the lead counterintelligence agency for the United States. The Bureau is going to be the organization that brings charges against someone for espionage. So there's a lot of pressure on us to get it right. Knowing someone is guilty of espionage is fundamentally different than proving that someone's guilty of espionage. So... And that's absolute fact, guys. Remember, it's not what you know, it's what you can prove. And when it comes to espionage and the stakes are high, the police have to cross every T, dot every I, because there's serious time in this, and the feds don't lose. You know, AUSAs are very picky on what they take. Let's validate Scott's claim that she's an agent of a foreign power, and in fact, who we're looking for. And then let's try or catch her in the act of committing espionage. National security letters are hugely important tools for the FBI. So a national security letter is a letter that's issued by the FBI that compels financial institutions, credit institutions, telephone companies to relinquish critical information. And once Montez is identified as a suspect, we opened a full investigation on her. It allowed us the opportunity to use national security letters. We had very sensitive intelligence that told us that the unknown subject had purchased a specific brand, make, and model computer at a specific period of time in 1996 from a store in Alexandria. No further information. Through national security letters, I identified Anna's line of credit. And from that, we knew that Anna had made a purchase to Comp USA back in October of 1996. This is insane. So in April 2001, we served a national security letter at Comp USA and asked them, could we identify a specific purchase made here in October of 1996? And they said, we keep records that far back behind the store and we only keep them for about five years. This was April of 2001. The records were almost destroyed. So we pulled out boxes and about 20 minutes after we started, assistant manager for CompUSA said, is this what you're looking for? And in fact, it was the purchase that Anna made in true name for the computer that we could prove that the Cubans tasked her to purchase back in October of 1996. This sales receipt for this computer purchase proved that she was, in fact, the spy. So from April of 2001, I had no doubts that she was a Cuban spy. The question was, was she currently spying? And could we catch her in the act of committing espionage?
this sales receipt for this computer purchase proved that she was in fact the spy. Ana Montes officially became the prime suspect of the unknown subject investigation. Now it's just a matter of proving her, catching her in the act of committing espionage. We need to get her on film meeting someone. Uploading intelligence secrets, passing encrypted thumb drive, that's the ultimate threshold. Court-worthy evidence that will convict a spy. At this point, guys, they're doing 24-7 surveillance, wiretapping all her stuff. This is a huge effort. Um, and if you guys have covered some of my other espionage-type cases, breakdowns, as soon as they figure out who the person is, it's 24-7. Everything's tapped. You need, like, literally round-the-clock agents. And doing 24-7 surveillance, guys, is extremely time-consuming, labor-intensive. And quite frankly, you need to do an effective 24-hour surveillance on someone to this level. You probably need at least 20 to 30 guys on the team rotating in, like, eight-hour shifts. So it ain't no joke when you're following someone around that much. So one of the especially someone like this, and you guys are going to see why it's hard in a second. First things we did was request physical surveillance resources on her. We had a lot to do, you know. The and physical surveillance, guys, is your traditional, you know, stay, sitting outside the house, following her into a mall and like playing clothes. Like that's like standard physical surveillance, old fashioned police work. FBI put cameras in her cubicle and microphones and tapper phones and all that sort of. Then electronic surveillance is anything with phones, wiretaps, email, um, penrishes, all that stuff is electronic. Remember, this is 2001, so they're using some pretty sophisticated equipment for back then. Thing. We started doing significant physical surveillance on Montez, identifying her patterns of behavior. What was her routine? So watching Anna Montez, we saw that, for example, she would leave her home on Sundays at a precise time go to the local metro, get on, go several stops, get off, walk, stop at locations, wait 60 seconds, go somewhere else, wait 90 seconds. Very methodical, things that a normal person doesn't. So from a tradecraft standpoint, you knew something was afoot. When her shoe seemingly came untied and she stopped and tied it, was she really tying her shoe? Or was she doing counter surveillance or signaling someone? Over the next several months, the surveillance team told us, we've got a pattern now. She's leaving work at particular times. She's following a route. Here's the route. She's going into drugstores, but she doesn't come out with a bag. So what's she doing in the stores? Turns out she was using the pay phones. Not too long ago, we had pay phones everywhere and using pay phones was not in and of itself suspicious. But when you have a cell phone, you have a home phone, and when you have phones at your office, the fact that you go a couple blocks off your normal route to and from home to use a pay phone, that is suspicious. Once we did the legal paperwork to get the records from the pay phone, we saw that she was calling pagers in New York City, and those particular numbers we knew were associated with Cuban espionage. And our suspicions were that she was punching in codes. And this is very interesting how they did this. Three or four digits. So we knew she was communicating with a pager. She was sending signals that told us she was still active. So we saw her making all these pay phone calls, the timing of which 
corresponded with encrypted high-frequency messages being transmitted to the D.C. area from Cuba. Even before Montes was identified as a suspect, we knew that the Cubans were communicating to their agents via high-frequency messages that would have been picked up using a shortwave radio. The Cubans would send a message on a Tuesday, repeated again twice on Thursday, twice on Saturday. We knew that communicating to the Cubans via the high-frequency messages required encryption and decryption disks. So it's not like they were sending the messages out in the open air. They were encrypted messages that no one else could read unless you had the matching decryption software that the Cubans gave to their agents. In order to catch her in the act, we knew we needed to get into her home because we knew we were trying to find these disks. She lived in a 30-tenant ownership building, so a huge challenge for us to try and get into her apartment without getting detected. Our surveillance of her taught us that she had a boyfriend, and her boyfriend lived out of town in Florida. And her traveling to visit her boyfriend Memorial Day weekend, 2000, gave us a long opportunity to get into her apartment covertly to do a physical search. So when we went into her apartment, I was absolutely nervous. Um, it was hot. There was no air conditioning. And although it was a small two-bedroom apartment, there was a lot to look through. You know, the risk of getting caught doing this is tremendous. And that's the last thing you want to do is, is compromise the investigation by someone coming home too early or someone, you know, watering the plants when you didn't plan on them doing that. We started searching her apartment. And the first thing we found was the Sony shortwave radio in its box, out in the open, underneath an open window. Gotcha, bitch! And then we found the Toshiba laptop computer that the Cubans had tasked her to purchase. Holy! So our that. computer experts made a copy oh, of oh, the shit. computer, oh, a hard drive, so that we could forensically analyze it and see what was on it. But she wasn't that careful, though. So Ana Montes, you know, as she had... And you're going to see how long she had been doing it. ...had received and sent reports out to the Cubans, had tried to delete what was on her computer. But in the deleted space of her computer, we found almost 11 pages of single-spaced text in English and Spanish. And in that text... We found national defense information that Montez gave to the Cubans that was classified. Shit. That was a hugely successful covert search. But we had not found the disks. If we could find the disks that the Cubans had given her, we'd be able to read her encrypted messages while she was getting them and hopefully then know what the messages were between her and the and that, guys, requires something called a Title Three intercept to get anything real time. This is when you're wiretapping phones, when you're putting bugs in houses. Um, it requires quite a bit of probable cause. You have to outline, you know, in specific detail why you need to actively monitor whatever their communication or bugging their home real time. And, you know, a lot of times they're going to say, well, evidence can get destroyed. For me to get intimate information like this, I need to be able to bug their home. So Title Three affidavits are no joke. I did one myself for a drug investigation. And I'll tell you guys, it was about 75 pages. 
You need more probable cause to get a Title III on someone than to actually arrest them. It's insane, it's, at least on the federal level. Cubans. We had made a copy and found the communication between her and the Cubans on the computer. We found the shortwave radio. We saw her making all these payphone calls. And we knew we had a strong case, but we felt that we had to find these disks. We really needed that concrete proof that took away any shadow of doubt from anybody that Montez is guilty of espionage. The FBI speculated that perhaps she was keeping this data on her person. And the reason they couldn't find it is because she was carrying it around with her all the time, perhaps in her purse. The objective was to get to her purse, search it, and get that purse back without either Anna or any of her coworkers having even a suspicion that something unusual had occurred. So we came up with a plan to separate her from the purse. We had insider access to Anna Montez's daily life. So what occurred to us is we could create a fake meeting that she would have to attend. We uh, gave her a major speaking assignment, which meant that she would be visible to everybody. And psychologically, it just wouldn't look good for her to have a purse sitting on top of her material. So we scheduled that briefing for uh, nine o'clock in the morning because we wanted to make sure that Anna had had time to settle in at work by eight o'clock to put her purse into a drawer so she would just secure it. And you guys will notice this is actually a very common tactic in counter espionage inf uh, investigations where they'll get the employee and they'll either promote them to some fake position or they'll make a fake meeting or they'll bug their office or put like, you know, try to get them to do certain things while in the workspace to uh, allow opportunities for investigative furtherance. So uh, this is another one of those situations because fortunately for them, when she's at work, you can kind of control the scenarios. And she did. All the attendees were at the meeting prepared to do a good hour, hour and a half discussion of this very important issue. Once the door was closed, the FBI technical team, under the guise of being a maintenance crew, went into her cubicle and the surrounding area to do routine maintenance on the facilities and had access to her purse. So while she was at the meeting, we had a very short period of time to go through her purse, you know, looking for the disks. Uh, it was a typical woman's purse, had cosmetics and wallets and just had a lot of purse type stuff in there. Purse type. Uh, <laughs> misogyny. That's why women deserve less, guys. What? So we looked and searched in and couldn't find the discs there. So we couldn't find exactly what we were looking for, but we did find something. Uh -oh. Inside Anna's purse, the FBI found a sheet with a matrix, which was uh, crypto material, which Anna employed when she communicated with the Cubans uh, via pagers. And that was exactly what we were looking for to determine what the message was between her and Cuban intelligence. Once we had her brevity codes, it was simply a matter of going to a phone, punching in the exact same codes, and then we just match it against 
the messages that have been sent and would be sent in the future and know exactly what she was telling New York. It told us at the time that she did not perceive herself in danger and it was setting up the future meetings to meet with her case officer or spy handler, which was every second week. If we could get her meeting with a spy handler, we know we would get her convicted and put her in prison. She had the potential to be one of America's most dangerous spies. And then this happened. I was sitting in my boss's office, I think, in a commercial office building in Northern Virginia, about a mile up from the Pentagon, when 9-11 occurred. How old were you when it happened? I was 11 years old when 9-11 happened. So, and just so you guys are wondering, I have a whole playlist on 9-11 if you guys want to go ahead and check it out. Um, I cover the, <coughs> excuse me, I go over the official story. That's I talk true. about how the F FBI conducted their investigation, and I go over the conspiracy theories as well with uh, the new Pearl Harbor, which was a very well done uh, documentary, even though they were missing one element from them boys. But <laughs> we will complete the 9-11 situation once we bring, bring uh, Ryan Dawson in, because there's no doubt that terrorists were involved in the attack, right? But there were some other situations as well that I won't discuss right now on this podcast, but we are definitely going to go into deep detail with y'all. And uh, it's going to be pretty eye-opening, guys. Uh, we're based on this side of the internet, if you know what I'm saying. And we riveted to the television screen. We understood that this was a terrorist attack and that it was significant. I sat in there for another 20 minutes or so, and I saw a puff of smoke to my right. And the puff of smoke persisted and it turned gray and began to billow. And then news coverage came on about the aircraft hitting the Pentagon. I didn't see the impact, but I knew what was happening. We had just crossed a threshold and that the United States of America was going to formulate some sort of a response that would require the assistance and support of the Defense Intelligence Agency. In the aftermath of 9-11, DIA assembled a task force to support the Pentagon's forthcoming operations in Afghanistan. Anna Montes was among those to be chosen for the task force. Oh, man. Oh, shit! Oh, shit! Oh, shit! On Saturday, the 22nd of September, Anna was going to be briefed on the war plan for Operation Enduring Freedom, the effort to remove the Taliban from Afghanistan. If Anna Montes gained access to information about our war plans, she could give it to the Cubans, who in turn would be happy to trade that information or to simply share that information with our adversaries, possibly including the Taliban. Boom, In that event, all of our plans that we executed during Operation Enduring Freedom would have been known to the enemy. I knew that our investigation with Anna was coming to an end. We really wanted to catch her in the act of committing espionage with her handler, who was handling and receiving the classified information. But we knew that it was just too much risk and potential damage to keep her at DIA at such a sensitive time when yeah. we were launching a war. Yeah. It was time to arrest Montez for a conspiracy to commit espionage. They probably could have kept the case going um, if 9-11 didn't happen. But yeah, I mean, it would have been awesome for her to catch her with the handler, but... Yeah.
It is what it is. Shit happens. Yeah. When 9-11 happened, we knew we had days left in the investigation. Also, keep in mind, guys, the entire FBI was working 9-11, so they really had to get this thing wrapped up to focus on the 9-11 situation versus, you know, everything got diverted to counterterrorism at that point. We really wanted to catch her in the act of committing espionage, but it was just too much risk to keep her at DIA at such a sensitive time when we were launching a war. It was time to arrest Montez for a conspiracy to commit espionage. The FBI decided they'd like to affect the arrest over in our building. We decided to bring her down into the offices of the inspector general. So we were going to arrest her at work, but we still wanted to try and get her to make some incriminating statements. If we could get her to say things about her espionage in an interview before she's arrested, that'd be a good thing for the prosecution. We started our interview, talked to her about uh, the scenario that wasn't true, uh, that there was a defector that came out from the Cuban Intelligence Service and he talked about a penetration of the U.S. government and quickly into this pretext, Anna had this interesting physiological reaction. And it was this rash that, that immediately broke out and they were on the side of her neck that was facing me. I could only see them. You know, I had to kind of control myself and not go, look at that. She, she has this rash breaking out. So <laughs> she knows what time it is, man. Oh, Lord. So she got him under control and she was very focused and very firm. Getting through this story, Montez kind of wised up to it and asked if she was under investigation. And, and at that point in time, we told her she was under arrest for conspiracy to commit espionage, handcuffed her, and her life changed from that moment on. Gotcha, bitch. That's a mugshot. Pete came out of the conference room with Anna. She was in handcuffs, and I saw them walking down the corridor, if you will, towards me. She was almost standing in front of me, and she never looked at me. I doubt that she had any real idea as to what role I might have played in her capture. Yeah, he was the one that actually brought the focus back on her, so shout out to him. The FBI doubted him, but he got it. We're pleased to announce this morning that 45-year-old Anna Bellin Montez pled guilty a one-count indictment charging her with conspiracy to commit espionage. Today's guilty plea is a result of a plea agreement between Ms. Montez and the United States that will require Ms. Montez to fully cooperate with law enforcement by providing information relating to all criminal and or intelligence activities of which she has knowledge. Shit. As part of the plea agreement, she got 25 years for espionage. Yes. And in uh, exchange for that, she agreed to be fully debriefed by the FBI and the rest of the intelligence community. So that means the CIA came in there, DIA people came in there, everybody came in there to ask questions. So, you know, because normally, guys, for a charge like this, you can get life and or death, right? A life sentence and or like the death penalty. So uh, for her to get 25 years was pretty good, given given the crime. She was debriefed for about seven months. Uh, seven months! Uh, exhaustively, shit. probably 
three times a week, five or six hours. That goes to show how much information she really had. A day. During honesty briefing, they took her from the earliest days in 1985 when she started. Holy, bro. She was going way back in time. She was selling secrets since Scarface. <laughs> All the way up to the day of arrest. What did you learn? We learned she betrayed us in El Salvador, compromised all of our military operations in Central America throughout five years of the secret war during the 1980s. And think, here was a woman that would literally sit across the table from special forces teams going downrange and pretend to be their friend. And then as soon as the meeting is over, contact her Cuban handlers and say, you have another special forces team going on to El Salvador. They'll be at this location on these dates. Good luck. Happy hunting. That's crazy, bro. That's crazy. Imagine how many people probably died because of the information that she provided to the adversaries. I'm convinced she willfully and intentionally took every action she could to get Americans killed in combat. It should make us all enraged. People from the intelligence community I know some of you guys hate the government and don't trust the government and everything like that. And that's cool. That's nothing wrong with not trusting the government. I get it. You should be, you should question everything. But what I will say is I don't want our soldiers dying. Okay. You don't have to like the government, but Hey, I don't want our soldiers dying. So to me, I'll look at it like this is unacceptable. And this is why I have such a personal issue with, um, espionage, treason, people that sell secrets, right? I know people are like, oh, well, Snowden did the right thing. He's providing information, um, you know, to the people. He's a whistleblower, et cetera. Okay, I get that. And then people are like, oh, Assange, Julian Assange, he's a, he's a truth speaker, blah, blah, blah. He's talking about all the injustices. Okay, understandable. I can see that perspective. But I look at it from the perspective of our soldiers. I'm always pro-soldiers first. So if soldiers die because guys want to be whistleblowers, I say, fuck the whistleblowers. You guys, my guys might not like me saying that, but I don't want guys, right, that enlist in the military that go out to fight and protect your rights and mine dying. I don't want a kid that's 18 years old that loves his country, serving his country, to die because some dude wants to increase his WikiLeaks page. Call that controversial, whatever it may be, but I'm pro-soldier first. Every individual that she met from the U.S. government if they were going to Cuba covertly, she identified who they were and, and what their true mission was versus what their stated mission was. A lot of the information she shared will remain classified to the American public. And isn't that ironic that information that you cannot read was read in Beijing, Moscow, Tehran, Cuba. There's no way even in six months of daily, all day interrogations you're not gonna get everything that a career spy did in 16 years. We will never fully know the damage that she did to the United States. During the time we were debriefing her, we learned a lot about her motivation for being the Cuban spy. Okay, here you go, Angie. You're gonna this get- This is what I wanted to yeah, know. Yeah, this is what you wanted to find out. Yeah. Why she did it. So in 1984, 1985, Montes was working on her master's degree in international relations at Johns Hopkins University. And her mutual friend saw her in class, knew her opinions, knew that she was 
diametrically opposed to U.S. foreign policy and what we were doing in that time period, which was 1984, 1985. Anna felt that the United States didn't have a right to kind of impose their will on other countries, especially in, in Central and South America. And, really just- and, and let me make this clear. There's nothing wrong with having that viewpoint, right? If, if you don't like U.S. foreign policy, that's within your right as an American to, to have, right? That's the right that we enjoy as Americans. However, getting into a trusted position where you have classified information that you took an oath to protect, by the way, right? All of us had a clearance. I remember when I took my oath. I'd never forget that day, August 24th, 2014, right? When you take that oath, you say in it, whether you're law enforcement for Homeland Security, the FBI, DEA, it doesn't matter. You say you will protect the U.S. Constitution against all threats, foreign and domestic. So you took that oath and you went ahead and you gave those secrets to people that want to hurt the United States. As much as you hate the United States, if you some of you guys might say, oh, well, government, I can't trust it or blah, 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 all this other stuff. She took an oath to protect the United States. You don't like U.S. foreign policy. That's fine. That's one of the beauties of this country. You can disagree with the government and be able to say it without being attacked or killed or put in jail. However, for you to have that viewpoint, go into public service, take a note that you're going to protect the United States, and then do the exact opposite, well, we know what happens. FBI, open up! And then you end up in jail. Or dead. Or dead. (laughs) Disagreed with U.S. foreign policy at the time. So her friend sensed that she had this passion that the Cubans would be interested in. She's introduced to the Cubans via a diplomat who was there undercover. He recognized that she had this visceral empathy for the Cuban plight, for the Cuban cause. And that's folks who they really reach out to and ultimately trust to be their agents. Honest Cubicle was actually devoid of anything personal. It was all devoted to business. But on Anna's cubicle wall, posted right next to her computer monitor, was a piece of paper. It was lined and written in script. The king hath note of all that they intend by interceptions which they dream not of. Fidel Castro was aware of all of their plans by some secret means they can't even imagine. This was an inspirational quote that she had posted to her wall so that every time that she was down at her computer, that's crazy, actually. Computer, <laughs> she could see it and motivate herself as a spy. You know, people who commit espionage are placing our collective security at risk. Our boys and girls in uniform who are fighting battles for us are going to die because somebody stabbed them in the back. That's what espionage is death. And that's why uh, guys like me worked so hard to find these people. I've told people that hunting for spies is like trying to find a ghost in the fog. And you've got to believe, first of all, that they're there. And then you have to have enough drive to keep looking. All right. So uh, pretty interesting documentary there. She definitely won the Cuban nationality. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, this is her guys, right? The, like you said, this is the FBI press release 10 days after 9-11 attacks. The FBI arrested a 44-year-old woman named Anna Belen Montez, 
Um, she didn't have anything to do with it, as you guys know. We covered in the documentary, but this was the um, the uh, FBI press release. Here's the affidavit, guys, right, from Stephen McCoy, the case agent, who, uh, sadly enough, wasn't involved in this documentary. They had his co-case agent, the other guy. Uh, but uh, it, this right here, the first paragraph, I tell you guys this all the time. This is, like, where they talk about their training experience. He goes, I'm a special agent of the FBI and have been so employed for 20 years. This guy was veteran. More than likely, the reason why is because he was retired and probably they couldn't find him. Because at this point in 2000. In 2001, he had already been on the job for 20 years. I'm currently assigned to the Washington field office uh, to a squad, and that's what the FBI calls their, their groups, responsible for counterintelligence relating to Cuba. I've been working in the counterintelligence field for approximately 15 years and have worked specifically on counterintelligence matters involving Cuba for the last 12. As a result of my experience in counterintelligence investigations and foreign counterintelligence training, I'm familiar with strategy, tactics, methods, tradecraft, and techniques of the Cuban foreign intelligence services and its agents. And then he goes into, you know, what he wants to search, Right. Then he gives the background. Anna Belen is a United States citizen born in Nunberg, Germany, blah, blah, blah. And then he goes into all the facts here. OK. And uh, right. And this is all the probable cause, which you guys kind of heard throughout the documentary. So I won't bore you with the details. Um, but this is what a criminal complaint looks like. And a criminal complaint, guys, you filed affidavit. Right. Which this is what the affidavit is. And then this is in support of something of, uh, in this case, an arrest warrant and search warrant. Right. This is like the meat of your you know, the meat of your, um, your case, right? This is where all the facts are. And then the judge signs it and then you go ahead and you get an arrest warrant, you get a search warrant, you're able to execute what you need to get done. Right. Um, and then now guys, you guys are probably wondering, well, what is she now? Uh, Anna Montes, former top spy says she will live in Puerto Rico. And just so you guys know, she got released. January okay. Eight, uh, she was released on January 6, 2023. Okay. Having been released, she will be monitored, including her internet usage for five years. Montes will not be allowed to contact foreign agents or work for the U S government without permission. Uh, she's currently living in Puerto Rico and continues to speak out against U.S. sanctions against Cuba. So, yeah. Of course. Very passionate. Yeah. Um, Very passionate, Anita. And that passion, yeah, that passion got her put in jail for two decades. Now look at her. Holy! God well, damn. Does she have any remorse, though? Probably like not. Probably not. She uh, said that she owned it to the people of Cuba. Did she, she did say that? Yeah, apparently. I heard it on the other um, documentary that I was watching. So, it's crazy, though. Mm. You know, I went to Cuba in 2010. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. Well, well, how was that? Um, they hate us over there, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> um, not really. Like, uh, Cuban people... Uh, you I know, mean the government, well, not the people. Well, yeah, the government, of course. People hate their government there. Honestly, mm. well, you see a lot of Cubans here love America. Yeah, like, you know what I've noticed? Um, the Cubans that hate America a lot of the time, or sorry, that that uh, love America are like capitalists. Like they were like entrepreneurs they, and high yeah. earners in Cuba, and they came here so that they can like pursue the dream. But like a lot yeah. of people that love Cuba, because there's a good amount of people that actually love Cuba, right? We in America, we kind of like put a lot of propaganda like Cuba's a terrible country and people hate Cuba and it's they're so uh poor and terrible. Cuba guys. I don't know if y'all noticed, they have one of the best uh, medical care in the world. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. I actually, like, went and looked it up, and I was like, wow, like, they have some of the best facilities. Um, and they have universal health care, which is, like, rare. You look at, like, a country like Canada, their health care is trash. Best doctors as well. You know? There are a lot of doctors, uh, Cuban doctors in Venezuela. Yeah. Loads. Yeah. Yeah, they have the best medicine. Yeah. For sure. And it's one of the, yeah, definitely one of the best. Like, it's comparable to American healthcare guys, you know? Um. But what I've noticed with Cuba, right, especially being here in Miami, you might not know this, like being in other places in the country, but uh, with Cuba. Cuba is big here. It's, uh, of course, yeah, a lot of them out here. <laughs> yeah. um, with, with Cuba, 
like what I noticed is like the people that were super successful that made a lot of money in Cuba, they didn't like Cuba because the government took everything from them. But the people that were like middle class, lower class, et cetera, they like it. It's like, okay, I could chill. Yeah. The government takes care of us. It's all good. Hey, you know? So, yeah, it's good. hey, Pablo, it's going to be all good. Kind of like Venezuela. Kinda. Yeah. But yeah, no, they y'all, hate... y'all are <laughs> much worse. Uh, yeah, of course. But yeah. it's, it's. Well, your government just steals from you guys like all day and they don't even care. I don't know. No comment. But okay. yeah. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're very similar and they hate. Most of them hate the, the government. Yeah. That's what I noticed going there. There is a lot of Santeria too. And yeah, Cuba is crazy. It's like um, the first thing and the main thing that I noticed is that it's it's like the whole country was is stuck in the 80s. Like oh, the Cuba? buildings. Yeah, you'll Rit? see the buildings, okay. the cars, everything. But do they do like, that for like historical value though? No, like, I think it's just like they never like, I don't know what to say. They like, just never progressed? Yeah. Okay. Because like Miami, right? Like you know how we have a bunch of these like stupid rules where like they can't knock down certain buildings. Like these yeah. old buildings on Miami Beach, like they got to keep downtown, them no matter how crappy are they are. And Miami, uh, yeah, uh, downtown Miami has a lot. Like they're trying to preserve the historical value. Is that like what it is in Cuba or they just don't want to do it? I think they just can't because of the okay. of the economy econ- economy and all that Eco- stuff. economic situation yeah. okay fair enough fair yeah. enough yeah that's one thing i noticed about cuba is like the entrepreneurs the guys that like were high earners there they're like get me the hell out of here but the people that are like middle class lower class they're, they're like oh it's not that bad hey, man just chilling yeah so um but yeah uh what were your thoughts on the documentary what, what are your uh, final thoughts on this uh, angie man i just really wanted to know why she did it it's crazy because I would think that she was Cuban and she fell out because she owned it to the country that she was born in and whatever, but she was not. And it's like, it was all merely for passion. And yeah. just making me think like people yeah, like this. They didn't this, talk about how much money she made, which is kind of strange. Uh, she might, did she? We might, we she, might get in another documentary or something if we like research you know, a little bit more. See, I'm going to search it real fast. Give me one second, guys. Right. I'm going to search how much, it, like, it is kind of weird how. Uh, I just want to say that people like this that are very passionate about their, um, I don't know, motives and whatever, patience, they are very dangerous, if you think yeah. of. Because I've known people like this in my country that will, like, hate the government and all that stuff. Most of us hate the government, of course, for, like, very uh, obvious reasons. But um, you'll, you'll meet a lot of people like uh, that they are very passionate about the hate or, or, like, on another, I don't know, man. It's, like, crazy. It's, like, they're dangerous very dangerous because they can get to do things like this and they can get yeah, killed a lot of people just because of fucking information it's insane yeah i can't even find it how much she made i don't think she had to god pay something be, that but... must be classified as well yeah yeah that might be yeah i guess so um but yeah i can't find it anywhere but i mean all the other spies i know how much they made so this is she might have not made that much she might have just well, really been um, doing this because she like stupid but whatever she was just getting it from cuba i don't think she made that much when you mentioned that i was like hmm, did she really make that <laughs> yeah, much they though? Gonna pay you big bucks they gave her a commission for selling right. it to the russians <laughs> I, I don't think she was even getting paid like in dollars or whatever i don't yeah. think so she, i think she just did it for like passion fair enough uh well anyway guys uh make sure to like the video subscribe to the channel check out angie on her uh, instagram so angelica and uh yeah and you want to tell yeah. people uh last word to you yeah um you guys keep asking for chris dorner um we're finding a good documentary for you guys first the yes. one we watched wasn't that good the green river killer um uh, yeah um although there are some cases that i want to like uh, research a little bit more because i have some cases that i have studied from the past we should do green river next you think 
for them, yeah. We, we do can it. do that. Um, a lot of people have been asking for Lorena Bobbitt, John, John Bobbitt. Um, I don't know much about that case, so I'll have to research it. And yeah, man, there are a lot of cases. Someone yeah, asked really for, to do a follow-up on Tony, Tony Tory Lanez. Oh, Tory Lanez? Okay. Yes. Um, with yeah. the lawyer. Somebody asked Okay, me there must be some new development. That. I haven't kept up with it, I'll be honest with y'all. So, uh, yeah, we could definitely do uh, the Tory Lanez thing. Yeah, and Aileen Wernus. Oh, a lot of people are, are asking for Aileen, for Aileen Oh, because we mentioned her on the yeah. last pod. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, she was the first uh, American serial killer that was a female. So, um, yeah, we could do. We could definitely do that one next. Uh, but anyway, guys, hope you guys enjoyed that. Like I said before, like the video, subscribe to the channel, check out Angie on Instagram, and I'll catch you guys on the next one. Don't forget to get the book, Why <laughs> Women deserve less it's Some live women. right now Some amazon women. bestseller by the way we're number one in feminist theory which is absolutely hilarious <laughs> <laughs> that's the category we're number one in and we're uh top in the top 10 pretty much for self-help and for uh, at least at the time of the recording this for self-help and all books on amazon right now i think we're like number 12 right now for all books number eight for self-help and number one in feminist theory so go ahead and get the book guys it's on kindle and it's also hardcover paperback um, it's kind of surprising paperback. that you actually like beat Jordan Peterson. I know. I, it is that's, kind of crazy. I was talking I beat him and David Goggins, man. So Don DeMarco for that one. <laughs> Don DeMarco. All right, man. Love y'all. We'll catch you guys on the next one. Peace. I was a special agent with Homeland Security Investigation. Interesting.